Hello, Crash Barry here. This episode of the Crash Program is episode one of Coasty, Salty Tales from a Drunken Sailor Fighting the War on Drugs, which is the prequel to my memoir, Tough Island. During Coasty, you'll sail from the Gulf of Maine to the Gulf of Mexico aboard a 210-foot Coast Guard cutter during the late 1980s drug war and war on Haitian refugees, and witness the misadventures and mistakes of Seaman Barry, a 20-year-old stoner, hippie, punk, and wannabe poet deckhand. There's lots of bad in these tales. Bad sex, bad drugs, and bad men, because Coasty is an in-depth look at hazing, toxic masculinity, and groupthink. In Coasty, there are many painful and often not safe for work or children's ears moments, which is one of the reasons that except for episode one, Coasty will be exclusively published twice a month for Patreon subscribers only. Visit CrashBerry.com for more details on how to support my work and gain access to lots and lots of perks and exclusive content. So while Coasty is for subscribers only, the latest episodes of Devils and Dirtbags and the Disinfomaniac Show with Nathan Bernard and Andy O'Brien, plus Open Ears Maine, and a new monthly podcast about trying to live closer to nature will all remain free via the Crash Program pod channel. Coasty, though, like a rare bottle of small-batch bourbon, will remain on the top shelf, out of reach of kids and the highly sensitive. Now, on with the show. You are listening to Coasty. Salty Tales from a Drunken Sailor Fighting the War on Drugs. Chapter 1 So here's the Coast Guard Marching Song. We sing on land or sea, through surf and storm and howling gale, high shall our purpose be. Semper Paratus is our guide, our fame and our glory too. To fight, to save, or fight and Die! Aye, Coast Guard, we are for you. On Friday night, February 26, 1988, Debbie erotically licked the shaved side of my head, which instantly convinced me that getting the mohawk had been an excellent decision. The idea had been proposed by my drinking buddies during a party the week before I was to report to Coast Guard boot camp. Everyone agreed it would be pretty badass for me to show up with such a radical haircut. Besides, the government was going to shave me bald anyway. Plus, Debbie, an 18-year-old new wave blonde with a penchant for torn fishnet stockings and black bras, volunteered to do the honors with soap and a Bic razor because mohawks aroused her. 
We were thirsty for each other. For the next five nights, I benefited from Debbie's mohawk fetish. We made love almost constantly and in the craziest places. In alleys, in the back seat of cars, in the front seat of cars, in a friend's pantry while the fellows played poker in the dining room, and, most crazily, in a stranger's bedroom at a party we crashed in a town I'll never visit again. Our insatiable passion was fueled by the freedom that came from being young and being able to do whatever we wanted. And since my eight weeks of Coast Guard basic training were to be celibate, I needed as much sex as possible before shipping out. It was my last night as a civilian. I was staying with my parents in my childhood home in the Indian Orchard neighborhood of Springfield, Massachusetts. My parents had questioned my decision to enlist, saying that as a wiseacre and rule-breaker, I was certain to rebel against the rigors of the obedience school that was boot camp. What the dickens did you do to your hair? My mother asked, after the initial shock of the mohawk had subsided. I don't think the Coast Guard is going to like this. She clucked and shook her head. You know, it really doesn't surprise me. After all, you've always made decisions without considering the repercussions. My father, sitting at the kitchen table, nodded silently in agreement. By the way, my mother said, I was just about to trim Dad's hair with this new haircutting system we bought. It connects to the new central vacuum system. Uh, what's the matter with scissors? I asked. With the flow bee, there's no cleanup, thanks to the central vacuum. Watch. She smiled and grabbed a black hose that had been coiled on the floor. One end was plugged into a wall socket that was connected to the central vac, a recent improvement to the house, a gift to themselves now that they were almost empty nesters. My mother flipped a switch. See? She said loudly over the machine's whine. Just adjust the length you want the hair to be cut, and all the trimmings get sucked away. No mess! She smiled widely. Come here and watch me try it out on Dad. Intrigued, I walked to the table while my mom fiddled with the device. Suddenly, she turned toward me and, wielding the hose like a knife, pushed the clipper right into the middle of my scalp taking a huge divot out of my mane and ruining the mohawk. Oops, she said, grinning. Now I'll have to trim all your hair to the same length. What the hell happened to your head? The Coast Guard recruiter asked when I arrived at his office the next day to get a lift to Bradley International Airport for the flight and then a bus to boot camp. It looks like you have friggin' mange, he said. A couple weeks earlier, back when I had normal hair, this guy was my best pal. With an almost perfect score on the aptitude test, no police record, and already knowing how to swim, I had been a prized recruit. Now, with my head bald, except for a short stripe, a fore to aft on my noggin centerline, the recruiter was treating me like a loser. During the drive to the airport, he barely spoke. He was no longer the loquacious recruiter who'd wooed me with promises of excitement as a member of the fire department of the ocean. 
His spiel had included scenarios in which I'd be fighting blazes aboard huge ships and driving a 44-footer through surging surf to save lives while protecting the environment, occasionally interrupting my important work to go on wild adventures in exotic foreign ports of call. Starting pay for a boot camper like me was $752 monthly with regular raises for each promotion. That's about $1,800 in today's dollars, plus housing and healthcare, grub, and 30 days paid leave annually. The deal had sounded great to an aimless 20-year-old punk rocker with a hippie streak and a love of poetry, cigarettes, psychedelics, and pacifism. The fact that it sounded great was nuts, because I'd always been an anti-authoritarian stoner and never once ever contemplated joining the military. However, after dropping out after one semester of studying drama at community college, followed by a year of carousing while working in a restaurant, I needed to make a dramatic change. I needed to learn discipline, needed to escape the world of shitty jobs and drunken hijinks. I needed to escape my life in western Massachusetts. I needed to quit the drugs, quit the smoking, and the drinking. Otherwise, I was sure to end up dead, in prison, or dead in prison before I turned 21. One thing I guarantee, the recruiter said, breaking the silence when he stopped the government van in front of Bradley's main terminal. They are gonna have a good time with you, that's for sure. <laughs> he laughed and drove away. What in the hell, boy? hollered the uniformed man with sunglasses and a big mouth when I stepped off the bus in Cape May, New Jersey. Answer me, boy. What in the hell is the matter with your head? Do you have lice or is that mange? How the frig did you ever pass a goddamn physical with such a diseased head? The guy paused to breathe, then restarted at full volume his spittle showering my face. I swear, if you infect the goddamn squad bay with your friggin' head lice, I'm gonna make you wish you never even thought of joining the United States Coast Guard. The screaming fella turned out to be my company commander, or CC, the coasty equivalent to drill instructor, whose job it was to break me down and rebuild me as a squared away sailor over the next two months. I stuck out, obviously, because I'm six foot two inches tall, and, thanks to my mom's impromptu Floby haircut, I looked like a freak. My remaining stripe of hair, by the way, turned out to be much shorter than the government barber's clippers. Except for the stripe, I was bald, practically, especially compared to the rest of the recruits, whose hair was all the same length of stubble. So I was an easy target for the CC's wrath. He never let up. 
My Coast Guard uniform, in his eyes, was always wrinkled, and my boots were always scuffed. If I bounced while marching, he'd punish everyone with extra push-ups and be sure to blame me for the bonus exercise. Or, in morning formation, if he decided I hadn't shaved my face to his specifications, the rest of my comrades were required to stand outside, holding their rifles over their heads, arms fully extended, while I raced back to the squad bay and dry-razored away the errant whiskers. He just loved screwing with me, with angry glee in his voice, and scorn in his eyes, and he'd always say he was just teaching me a lesson. What lesson? I'll never know. About halfway through the eight weeks of boot camp, as we learned more about our future jobs, I realized the recruiter back in Springfield had lied. In the real world, coasties were more like cops than firefighters. Unbeknownst to me, President Ronald Reagan had ordered the Coast Guard to the front lines of the drug war. The Coast Guard and the Department of Defense gained important new resources for their drug fighting efforts from the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986. And last year, the Coast Guard seized nearly 26,000 pounds of cocaine, 26,000 pounds of a drug that has a street value of $1,000 an ounce. Don't try to figure that out in your head. It's $416 million. And by keeping deadly drugs from reaching our communities, I think the Coast Guard earned yet another good reason to be known as the life-saving service. So Coasties became focused on stopping smugglers aboard fast boats carrying cocaine and ganja into the United States. Despite our best efforts, illegal cocaine is coming into our country at alarming levels and four to five million people regularly use it. One in 12 persons smokes marijuana regularly. Regular drug use is even higher among the age group 18 to 25, most likely just entering the workforce. Which put me in a quandary, since I'd always enjoyed both drugs. During the sixth week of basic training, Along with a dozen other select comrades, I had my wisdom teeth removed. The Coast Guard philosophy was to rip the damn things out when a sailor was ashore in order to head off potential problems and expensive helicopter evacuations from occurring while underway out to sea. The dental procedure was savagely quick and brutal and without anesthesia. We were expected to be back in training with the company less than 24 hours later, each of us armed with a dozen hydrocodine tablets to be taken only if the pain was unbearable. Needless to say, the oral surgery was bad. Thanks to the pills, though, I spent the next several days relatively pain-free, enveloped in a velvety cloud of opioids, Boot camp was almost tolerable. As my hair grew and the indoctrination progressed, I realized the basic expectation to blindly obey all rules and regulations issued by my superiors without question was identical to the mission of the nuns who ruled the 12 years of my Catholic education. 
Thankfully, the nuns didn't use the same tactics employed by my Coast Guard indoctrinators, which included extreme physical exercise as punishment, sleep deprivation, mind-numbing marching, inane close-order drills, and near-constant toilet scrubbing, uniform ironing, and brass polishing. And, as happened to millions of others before me, the intense training broke my spirit and forced me to abandon my free will and self-determination. In other words, I was ready to serve as a sailor in the United States Coast Guard. By the end of the sixth week, I learned that, provided I graduated from boot camp, I would be stationed aboard the Coast Guard Cutter Vigilant, a 210-foot medium-endurance cutter, home-ported in the rough-and-tumble fishing city of New Bedford, Massachusetts. Throughout the world, New Bedford, Massachusetts is best known as the Whaling City, the romantic port from which the old whalers set sail for the four corners of the globe. On the seventh weekend of boot camp, my company was granted 24 hours of liberty. Shore leave, basically. Which meant for one night, we were allowed off the base. The rules for liberty were simple. Those under 21 years old, no booze allowed. And we were required to remain in uniform when out in public in the seaside towns of Cape May and Wildwood, New Jersey. We were under direct orders from our commanding officer to act in a responsible manner and warned not to bring dishonor to the U.S. Coast Guard. And any fraternization, in this case meaning sex with another recruit, would be punished severely. Several comrades and I rented a motel room since we were underage and needed a place to chill. After a good restaurant lunch, a dozen of us newbie sailors hid out in our flea bag room from mid-afternoon onwards, drinking beer and booze, and, me, smoking cigarettes. Seven weeks of mind control wasn't enough to break me of the nicotine habit. Real sailors, of course, have no use for silly rules, so the legal comrades bought plenty of beer, wine, and booze for the underage. And, since several of my comrades had leftover hydrocodeine from the dental surgery, I was able to parlay their surplus into an extremely groovy time for me. I was flying high. And there was a brunette, a fellow boot camper, a female shipmate, a split tail, giving me the look. I could tell I amused her. She laughed again and again, a girlish giggle, a tune I hadn't heard in so long. By this point, after seven weeks, my baldness had grown into stubble, and the stripe had merged with the rest of the stubble, so I wasn't looking too freaky. Also, the constant exercise had turned my soft teenage body strong, and I was a solid young man, virile sexually potent, and despite the commanding officer's no fraternization order, I wanted her badly. We shared small talk and more laughs. She desired a cigarette but didn't want anyone to see her puffing, so we decided to leave the party, separately, discreetly. 
and meet outside so she could enjoy a smoke. Under the motel eaves, I gave her a camel light. She laughed after lighting up, telling me how when she was getting into shape for boot camp, she'd quit smoking. She smiled as she exhaled. She was still in uniform. I was in a white t-shirt and blue sweatpants, the only civilian clothes we were allowed to bring. Aren't you cold? She asked. No. I was glowing, buzzed by drugs and alcohol and youth, relishing the temporary freedom, immune to the harsh April wind coming off the Atlantic Ocean. We talked about nothing, and we talked about everything, and I could tell she dug me, big time. And before we headed back into the party, I lit another camel light. This smoke we shared. Then, a couple minutes later, we returned to the room, separately, where the festivities continued, and no one seemed to notice that we'd even been gone. We were all friends, really. Comrades, shipmates, pals, buddies, baptized together in the trauma and training of boot camp. The rigorous environs and events were intended, in theory, to make us all one, allowing us to be able to work together with a shared goal. Semper paratus was our motto. Latin, they told us, for always ready. In another week, we'd report to our new assignments in the real Coast Guard on Coast Guard cutters and icebreakers and patrol boats and 41-footers and 44-footers and 95s and at air stations. In all likelihood, we'd never see each other again. But that night, in a New Jersey motel room, we all bonded, at least temporarily. Semper Paratus always ready. I was ready for her, for the brunette. At one point, while grabbing beers from the cooler, our fingers grazed among the slippery ice cubes and cold cans. Our eyes met, and she smiled a small smile. Her hand and mine touched, lingering, oh, so very briefly, a secret contact hidden by the cooler lid. Had she sighed when pulling her hand away? The pills and the booze made it easy for me to ignore the threat of drama. The booze and the pills made it easy to silence the tiny voice of warning in my head. Because I was aroused. A dangerous emotion to have while clad in sweatpants. Seven weeks of forced celibacy and the pills and the booze heightened my carnal desires and, to be blunt, hardened me. Luckily, she didn't notice. Luckily, no one noticed, and I was able to sit in the corner, nursing my beer, until the erection subsided. As night fell, I donned my uniform again, and then our gang piled into taxis and headed over to Wildwood, the next boardwalk town north, for dinner and laughs. And here again, the Wildwoods will please you. There's an abundance of dinner delights waiting in the many excellent Wildwood restaurants. Your by-the-sea dinner will be difficult to choose. There are so many gourmet offerings, specializing, of course, in seafood, but in other taste-tempting meals as well. 
and to see what real New Jersey nightlife is like compared to what we've been experiencing in boot camp. If you have some energy left, there's nothing like a Wildwood boardwalk night. Yes, this is where it's at. Wildwood, New Jersey. Fun in the sun, fun after the sun goes down. Not just one or two, but five. Five great, fun-packed amusement piers with every kind of ride and activity there is. I vaguely remember the cab ride over to Wildwood. As for food or fun, I have no memory. Because the pills, mixed with the liquor, brought me right back to the foggy bad behavior that I've been trying to abandon by enlisting in the Coast Guard. Still not had enough? How about capping this Wildwood day in one of the several groovy night spots? I hadn't changed. I was just like I'd been before going to boot camp. I may have looked different, but I was still the same just with real short hair. Needless to say, due to my drunkenness, the brunette and I did not hook up. She chose another shipmate, a smarter fella, smart enough not to get so friggin' drunk. Rumor was they had a real good time, and they never got busted for fraternization. Man, this is living. We think you've got the picture by now. For that perfect vacation, the Wildwoods put it all together. Right on. I woke late that Sunday morning, a half hour before the 11 a.m. checkout. Plenty of time for a long, hot shower, which I needed desperately in order to steam the boozy stink from my pores. When I emerged from the shower, clean, I could still smell booze and cigarettes because my rumpled uniform reeked of last night's party. And at that moment, with liberty about to expire in minutes, there was nothing I could do but return to base and hope my CC didn't see or smell me. Fortunately, I made it back to the squad bay without incident, which was huge because if I'd been busted for disobeying the no-drinking order, I would have been kicked out real fast, forever haunted by a Coast Guard dishonorable discharge, an unerasable dark mark on my permanent record. And then what would I do? A week later, on the morning of my boot camp graduation, three other recruits and I were selected to sprint across the Coast Guard base to an admin building where all the family and friends of our company were gathered prior to the graduation ceremony. Our job was to notify the assembled folks that festivities would start in 15 minutes. My parents and my little sister Susan had made the six-hour drive from western Massachusetts to New Jersey to attend. For a few moments, my family didn't recognize me. I stood ramrod straight and strong, clean-shaven and big-eared. I appeared to be dramatically transformed. Wow, my mom said as she hugged me. Tears of happiness flowing from her eyes. I wonder how long this will last. Thank you for listening. And remember, future episodes of Coastie are for subscribers only. 
Visit CrashBerry.com to learn how to get access to exclusive content and more. So here's the Coast Guard marching song. We sing on land or sea. Through surf and storm and howling gale, high shall our purpose be. Semper Paratus is our guide, our fame, and our glory too. To fight, to save, or fight and die. Aye, Coast Guard, we are for you.